It is always phenomenal to truly worship God. And uh, I have the privilege of starting a four-week series on worship. Um, just as an eldership, we are really prioritizing worship. We, we do value and prioritize worship. We know that Glenridge really has worship in our DNA. Uh, from the very beginning when God birthed us, he placed it deep within us. Uh, he, he has highlighted it and we, we, we have a reputation around the world for being a house that worships with passion. Uh, with a, a radical abandon, with uh, just hearts on fire for the Lord, and that's manifest in our worship. So I have the privilege of having led the, the team of, of worshipers or lead worshipers. Uh, we believe we're all the team of worshipers, aren't we? Every single one of us. Um, and so we are the worship team, but I've had the privilege of overseeing that team for uh, about six years now. And um, I just want to start by honoring our team, uh, the team of serve, you know, servers, the, the, the musicians, uh, the men and women who are part of what, what we do in our corporate worship. I want to honor every single member of that team. I want to honor the bands. I want to honor the band leaders. I want to honor the uh, facilitators, the hosts. I want to honor the sound technicians. I want to honor the the people who are videoing and in production. Now, when we talk about worship, uh, I want to be very clear that we believe all of life is worship, and that's why we emphasize giving as part of worship. We emphasize uh, private worship and public worship. But what I wanted to do today is just give a little bit of, of the heart and vision of Glenridge worship. What I'm going to do is I'm going to just share with you a couple of things around where we've come from, uh, where we are, and where we're going. What you can look forward to in the next three weeks is next week, Justin is going to be really taking us into this heart of diversity in worship, the purpose and power of, of God. Uh, then what we're going to have is It'll be Kathy who's going to share on the prophetic nature of worship and how the worship that we have is by nature prophetic and how we are a prophetic people. And then Brandon is going to close off in week four and he's talking around the power of the presence of God and uh, how worship is really around a kingdom expectation of power, a kingdom expectation of heaven. So that's what we have to look forward to. But here I am to kick things off. And I'm going to share a sense of the heart of worship and a little bit of vision for us. But if there's one outcome that I'd really like to see, oh, getting emotional already. If there's one outcome that I'd like to see from this sermon uh, is that you would be left with a, a burning hunger for deeper worship. Um, that you would be left with a, a deeper hunger for a passion of, of our King. And that manifests in life, which we call worship. So that's, that's what I'm hoping for. So I'm going to share a little around something that we would call our culture of worship. As a team 
of worshippers, we got together in 2016 and we, we, we really just sought God's heart around what is, what is it that we want? What do we see for our worship? I want to briefly share with you that kind of document that, that, that showed our, our, our statement of the vision. And what we asked ourselves was, if we were to say in 30 years' time, what would Glenridge worship be like? What would, what would it uh, look like? What would it feel like? What would it be like? And we described it. And um, this is what we came up with. Now, this is not necessarily a widely publicized document. This is really just a, a true north kind of thing that we as worship members and team leaders kind of put together. But I feel it's important as we're dealing with our worship to let you know this is something that guides us. And uh, without going into too much detail, I've got the slides of that document here. So when we started uh, in October 2016, and this is really just a snapshot of that, and from time to time we keep referring back to it because we want to make sure that we're on track with what God told us in those days. And so this is really what it says. It says, Glenridge is a church marked by God with a worship call. It's in our DNA. And you know, the interesting thing about this DNA thing is it's not something we have to manufacture. It's something that's in us. It's something that was birthed in us. It's something that is unique to us as a lampstand, this local church. And uh, we, we really believe that we carry something of that, which is meant to not only be a blessing for our community to God, for our city to God, but also beyond. And we know that there are many around the world who carry this and who multiply this. And then, it, then it carries on and says, we believe that worship spans way beyond music on a stage in a meeting. It's reflected in all of life. And I just want to reiterate that many, many of us may have grown up with this understanding of worship being an isolated, separate event, or perhaps, you know, only when they're musicians... Um, and, and I think God's restored something that that's not the case. There seems to be a freedom in that. Uh, but we want to reiterate that all of life is worship. Um, and we'll get into, I'll get into that a little more. However, worship is also about what we do communally. And worship does mean musicality. And it does mean dancing. And it does mean shouting. And it does mean praising. In fact, the word hallelujah comes from the word halal, which is a word for praise. And it speaks about a clamorously foolish expression. It speaks about gaining a sense of, look at me, look at me, everyone. I'm making a loud noise so that you can see me. Why? Because I'm showing you I'm being clamorously foolish for a purpose, for a person. And so hallelujah is a declaration that has to find expression by letting it out of your voice. A hallelujah cannot happen without that expression. And so it's a beautiful way to corporately bring a hallelujah in prayer, in music, in singing, uh, in expression, in encouraging one another. So it's reflected in all of life. And yet, of course, it is very much uh, a, a communal aspect of what we do uh, as we be together. So... The following statement represents something of our collective synthesized vision of how would we describe 
GC worship in 2036. And this is what we came up with. So essentially, this is a, a worship vision statement for, for Glenridge. And it says this, God is our everything. And as a family of diverse people, we radically worship Jesus above all else. Encountering him in his presence and power, being transformed into his likeness, while being redemptively present within our local context and beyond, as we prophetically harmonize the sounds of earth with the sounds of heaven. And so that statement was something that we really believe God gave to us as we chewed on all the aspects of worship that we felt are important to the Lord in terms of what he's called us to. And then we, we said that the shared beliefs and values we have around worship really just become our culture of worship. And that that culture of worship is something that we want to foster and grow and nurture and, and multiply. And so that's our heart's desire. Then it says this, we fulfill this vision by living and embodying the following values. So these are just values and beliefs within our worship that we hold fast to. And the first is God first. Being God-centered, our worship is to, for, and about him. Being spirit-led in truth, we prize God's person and presence and intimacy. We believe the Lord is one and live radically for him. We embrace power encounters. Second is this, love. We are selfless, sacrificial, servant-hearted, being and doing family. We are relational, displaying the fruit of the Spirit. The Father's love brings wholeness, security, healing, and identity. The next is courageous faith. Being huge risk-takers, uh, asterisk, we have hunger and expectation. We have hope. We are pioneering, going, dreaming big people, believing God and living active obedience in our worship. And the uh, asterisk is really that God is not a risk, but the risk that we want to take is those he's given us faith for. The next is prophetic. Seeing ahead, we are a declarative voice to and in our context through creativity of style, song, expression, media, art and dance, proactively calling out the destinies of people and places, stirring up the gifts while being living examples, showing heaven and following heaven. Next is integrity. We have clean hands and a pure heart, living in humility, truth and truthfulness, with ownership, consistency, accountability, transparency and authenticity. We are good at being real. Honor. Working as a team with generosity, respecting others with encouragement and humility, preferring one another, we honor heaven's truth about ourselves and others. Diversity. We love and embrace our unique cultures, languages and songs, styles, forms, expressions, creative sounds, gifts, and colors, in collaboration, our worship is a reflection of heaven on earth. Freedom. Our freedom is for freedom of expression with hope, bringing breakthrough and liberty, open atmosphere for increase and growth. Joy. 
Our joy is an overflow, revealing the extravagance of God's love and abundance. We are upbeat, bringing good news, life, strength, and celebration. It is our warfare. And so these nine sort of values that we really hold on to are the things that we guide the way that we approach our worship, and they guide the way that we approach one another in our worship. And I just felt it would be helpful for you to, to know that, that this is what we see. Now, are we there yet? Maybe not. Maybe there's some growth that needs to happen in some of these things. And that's exactly the point. We want to keep saying, God, how do we keep adjusting to make sure that we're reflecting this vision well? And then lastly, I just wanted to share something of the heart of God, I believe, for now, for us. Uh, the truth is, I could probably preach a whole year on just worship. There's so much to preach. But I, I just felt there are a few things that God would want to give us. And these are really just some um, biblical worship outcomes. So in other words, these are important principles of biblical worship. And I say biblical worship because there are probably many ways of doing and being worship uh, that are not wrong or right uh, or, or necessarily good or bad. But we do want to be biblical in our worship in the sense that if we're not worshiping God's way, we find ourselves not worshiping God. We're worshiping something else. So these, by the way, are also paradoxes. And the first is worship, a paradox is just an apparent contradiction, which then does make sense when you think about it. So these are sort of truths that are in tension with one another. Um, and I feel these are really for us for now. The first is this. Worship is deeply spiritual, yet deeply communal. And what, we, what I mean by this is worship is something that we're able to individually do just me and God. And yet we cannot get away from this fact that God has designed it to be communal. In fact, corporate worship is probably the greatest reflection, in my mind, of the church being together in unity with a common purpose and a common vision for him, for our king. It's probably the best example or the only real example of us being together doing one thing uh, and all of our parts coming together in that kind of body. It's a beautiful expression. And uh, it's very important that we're aware that we should not favor one or the other. Because if I favor personal worship over communal worship, corporate worship, together worship, meeting together, being together, then I forsake all the benefits of that worship, both for me, for the community, and for the Lord, for his glory. But if I favor only corporate worship and I neglect personal worship, then I forsake all the benefits uh, and the intimacy that comes when it's just me and the Lord in that kind of closet, in that quiet place or loud place. And so we don't want to put worship in a box and favor and prefer it because 
it will create a deficiency. Um, Psalm 100 verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Now that's very public. The gates, it's, uh, it's talking about city gates. It's talking about communal space. It's talking about temple courts. And uh, that was a place that everyone was together. And then in Mark 14, verse 6, we see a beautiful example of personal worship. It's the story of where Mary took perfume and poured it out over Jesus. And that perfume was costly, and that perfume was extravagant, and that perfume uh, was pervasive in the air. And it's an example of how personal, private worship was somehow also public because that smell on Jesus and on Mary would have gone around. And that personal, private expression was done in the presence of others. So don't forsake private uh, worship uh, for, the, for whatever reason, either neglect or perhaps it's fear or perhaps it's believing somehow that worship can only happen uh, in a certain way. No, uh, worship, worship is deeply personal, but it's deeply communal. The second one I want to share is that worship is spiritual and it's natural. Um, in Romans chapter 1, it says, sorry, chapter 12, verse 1, uh, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in God's in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper uh, spiritual act of worship. And so there's this idea that offering my body as a living sacrifice, and there's, there's parallels of worship and sacrifice throughout Scripture, both in the Old and the New Testament, and that this idea of offering my body, which is very natural, physical, as a spiritual act of worship, a living sacrifice. And uh, this idea of wherever my body goes is an opportunity for worship. Wherever I find myself is an opportunity for worship. But the reality of this is it's my spiritual act of worship. That means that it must find manifestation in action. Whether it is hands raised, whether it is singing, whether it is jumping, whether it is shouting, whether it is kneeling, whether it is lying prostrate. All of these are expressions that have to find their way out from what's happening in this heart. Let your body be offered as a living sacrifice, which means allow and by the way, a sacrifice isn't pleasant. A sacrifice is not always self-pleasing. But our worship must find its outlet in action. So it's spiritual act of worship, and yet it's practical. Now that then overflows in how we live our lives, how generous we are, how we give, what we do with our hands, what we do with, with our bodies. Are they worship? Is what my body is doing worship? And by the way, it's either worship to the Lord 
or it's worship to something else or someone else. So what's my body doing? And is it a living sacrifice to him? Or is it self-serving or is it others serving? Challenging statement. We also find in John chapter 4, verse 24, a beautiful encounter with Jesus and the woman at the well. And uh, he says this beautiful thing about worship. And he just says, you know, God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in the truth. So Jesus really says, worship is about being spiritual because God is spirit. Worship is supernatural. It's not just an earthly, fleshly, uh, only tangible from what we can feel, see, and and touch. No, it goes way deeper. God is spirit. So do not be afraid to allow your worship to be deeply spiritual. Do not be afraid to allow it to go to depths uh, and realms even uh, of, of heavenly realms where he is, where the Holy Spirit is. Um, I, I firmly believe that God is unlocking spiritual eyes and ears to the frequencies that we're not even aware of. And worship accesses that. So do not forsake your physical, natural um, tangible body of worship for the sake of being spiritual and do not forsake the spiritual nature of worship with only physical things. It's got to be both. It's that tension. And so, by the way, spirit and in truth, we firmly believe that as a value, we, we base our corporate worship in spiritual, in godly truth and biblical truth. We really aim at good theology. We choose songs that have good theology. Um, And of course, sometimes there's an expression and maybe a poetic license and things, but we're very committed to truth in our worship as a value. The next one is this. Worship is all about him. Yet, it is very healthy and edifying to me. And so this idea of knowing that our worship is all about him. Friends, can I say this? We sometimes need to get over ourselves. Uh, We sometimes need to realize that if worship is all about him, then my preference means nothing. If worship is all about him, my uh, preferred style means nothing. When worship is all about him, my preferred uh, way of worshiping means nothing. When it's about him, to please him, we need to worship him in a way that pleases him, which means that we're going to have to move out of uh, what, what serves us. So worship is for him. And I mean, Romans 11 beautifully says that uh, for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And uh, So we're able to get over our prejudices. We're able to get over our limitations. We're able to get over our fears. We're able to get over all the things that keep us stuck. Maybe you struggle to lift your hands for fear of what people might think. Maybe you have a personality that prefers to to rather be quiet. Friends, to be a biblical worshiper, we're going to need to get out of those limitations. It doesn't have to be fake, it doesn't have to be contrived, it doesn't have to be um, 
for any other reason than, is God going to be pleased by this? It's for him. It's for him alone. And yet, man, in our worship, we benefit. We're edified. 1 Corinthians talks about the edification. When you come together, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, this idea of the gifts of the Spirit flowing, and somehow we get edified as a body, communally and individually. Worship is an incredible thing. It is for him, predominantly. And yet somehow God just turns it around and he makes it for our good too. And that's, it is a relationship. Worship is a relationship. It is for him. Uh, we, we, it's less of me and more of you, God. And then when I see God the way he truly is, guess what? I'm able to see me for who I truly am. I'm able to adjust and become better. I'm able to re respond. I'm able to repent. I'm able to change my belief and match his. That's all the part of the exchange of worship. It's this communal exchange, the communion of God and us. Uh, and we just get edified and blessed and, and, and changed. And so it's a beautiful thing. Uh, there is a tendency, I think, in popular culture where worship is more about me and my preference and my style and, and our vibe, and it's very dangerous. We, we must realize that primarily it is about him. And, and that will then allow us to, um, to put ourselves a little bit out uh, when, when we see that it will bless him. I'll speak a bit more about that later. The next one is this. Worship is free of charge, yet it is very costly. Friends, worship, communing with God, is free of charge. We have full access to our king. We have full access to the throne room of grace. Uh, Hebrews 4 says, Let us go, therefore, with confidence to the throne of grace. Why can we be confident? Because that price has been paid, the, sin, the stain of sin has been removed, the consequence of our own guilt and shame has been removed, and we can therefore enter through that curtain. Uh, and we should do that with absolute confidence. It is free of charge. Uh, we are free. We are free. And so we need to enter that place because it's open, it's available. God's made it so. And worship is simply coming into alignment with God has, what Jesus has done in, in the grace of the cross, what he has done through his blood, what the Holy Spirit has made us free to do and be. We need to be free. Be free to go in. We are free. And yet, friends, we're not so free that we cannot be sacrificial. So let's not use our freedom to prevent worship or to divert worship away from where it rightly should be. And so that beautiful picture of Mary being sacrificial, you know, wherever there is, is, is worship, there's a sacrifice, both in the Old Covenant and the New. I love um, a scripture from 1 Chronicles where David is talking about sacrificing in the temple, and he needs to buy burnt offerings, but he's you know, he says, no, but I'll buy, from, buy them from you for full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. 
See, David recognizes that even though he had the heart, and, and you know, we, we know that David was a man after God's own heart, and it was really his heart of worship, a heart of repentance, a heart of God first and me less. And, and he understood this thing, that sacrifice is costly. I'm not going to just bring God something that was kind of given to me for free. I'm not going to give God discount worship. Uh, I'm going to give him my best. And I think that that should really be something that we should be challenged about. Lord, not to, not to try and off, you know, gain favor or try and somehow um, please you or, or to try and gain extra love. No, those things are, are, are settled. It's, he, there's nothing we can do that uh, can make him love us more. Uh, by the same token, we've heard there's nothing we can do that can make him love us less. That's a settled issue, friends. But, but yet, worship is costly. Why? Oh, because he did it all. Because it cost him everything. He gave us everything. We get to give everything of ourselves, and that's worship. And so we're free. But in our freedom, let's remember that worship is costly. It's free, to, to, free of charge to worship, but it's costly. The next one that I wanted to share, and this is probably the last one before I wrap up, is just this idea that worship should feel comfortable. And yet, worship should feel uncomfortable. Why do I say that? Well, worship should feel comfortable in that it's second nature. It's in our design. It's who we're made to be. It's who we were designed to be, that we are by nature worshipers of our creator, of our Lord, of our Savior, of our Redeemer. It should feel like the most natural thing. I, I, I often see worship as a child approaching their father. And I've got four beautiful children, and one of the things that I just absolutely love is when they run up to me and they go, Uppy! Uppy! And they don't have to do anything to deserve that freedom to come to me, and I pick them up and I... And and this idea of relationship and, and uh, intimacy and joy and being together. And so worship should feel comfortable, just like a child approaching their dad uh, or mom. Just that comfortable. And yet, friends, worship should not be so comfortable that we're familiar. It should not be so comfortable that we're apathetic. It should not be so comfortable that we become blasé about it. Uh, this relationship we have with God uh, as accessible in our worship, which is in prayer, in supplication, in, in, in singing, in, in songs, in all of life. Let's not, let's, not become, um, let's not become dull. Let's not become numb to, to the Lord. Let's allow God to make us, in a godly way, uncomfortable. Let's allow God to stretch us in our worship. Let's allow God, because as we see him better, man, it should create a passion. It should create a sense of, oh, I want to know you more. I want to serve you more. I want to worship you more. Let my worship be more and extravagant and better and more authentic, more powerful. Let the intimacy that we have uh, be more real, be more zealous. Let the fire burn hotter. So friends, let it be so comfortable, second nature, without thinking about it just like a child. 
And uh, we know that to, to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Please approach God with the comfort of being a child. Uh, someone once said in church that they had to be very proper because they were meeting the, the queen. And uh, you had to dress a certain way and you had to do certain protocols and things. And, um, you know, that they said that you have to do that for because we, we're meeting the king, you see. Well, I wouldn't meet the queen uh, like this. And the person said, yes, but I'll bet you that the, the, the children of the queen would be happy to go and see her in the pajamas. And uh, it really just, it's it dependent on how we see God. Seeing him as a father who's loving allows us to come comfortably and freely and authentically who I am. Uh, whether it's in the private space or in the public space. But let's not let that comfort hold us back from worshipping him properly. And I want to encourage us to, to worship him with, with boldness and great zeal. So lastly, friends, I just wanted to end with this one thought, this one idea. That when we are able to see God more clearly and vividly and rightly, when we're able to have a, a, an intimate relationship with him. What happens is that that relationship and that cultivated sense of passion gets us to be able to see him for who he is. We get to see ahead in time to when he's coming back as, as our bridegroom, when he's returning for us as a bride. We get to see him more rightly. We get to see ourselves more rightly. And worship is the medium for that. Worship is the environment for that. And we're unapologetically passionate about Jesus and about his kingdom and about allowing that to transform us into the work that he's got for us to do. So really just to close, I, I know that we've probably all had difficult times and that can affect the way we tend to approach God and worship. And I, I'd just like to kind of wrap up with some lyrics from a lovely song called Catch Me by Alyssa Smith. And it's really just speaking to this idea that when we see eternity, and we, when we hold eternity in our hearts, we're able to continue to worship God with an abandon and a, and a passion. This is, these are some lyrics from what she says. It says, what if the doors all close and lock? And I find out I chased a mirage, wondering if I've even heard you at all. And what if the cost is high to pay, and I'd rather you take the cup away? I second guess if the choice I made was worth it. But what if heaven is cheering me on? David's pleading, sing your song. Mary's shouting, waste it all, he's worth it. And I want to leave you with this idea. It's worth it, friends. Worshiping God rightly is worth it. So I'd really love to just pray for us as we bring this to a close. Father, I, I thank you that you're so faithful. You're so good. You're so loving. You're so worthy that you are the reason for our existence. You're the reason that we worship. Thank you that you're accessible, you're welcoming, and yet thank you, Lord, that you're a passionate God, a God that deserves 
sacrifice, a God that deserves our everything. And Lord, I pray that everyone who is hearing this sermon or watching this sermon uh, would find a passion and a hunger beginning to emerge for more of you, for a deeper expression of you, for your encounter, for your power, but mainly, Lord, just you. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your goodness over us. In your name, Jesus. Amen.